Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 302, Everything That Could Go Wrong Did Go Wrong, recorded September 10th, 2017, and brought to you, barely, by Element OP Productions. Element OP Com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the show that almost wasn't. I am Mark, your host, sometimes known as the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockroll. And joining me this week, barely, are your stalwart co-host, your friends and mine, Seth the Gooey Kid Anderson, and Miles the Aussie Jr. Wakeham. Hello, gentlemen. Element OP dot broke is how we're <laughs> operating here recently. <laughs> Come on, people! Please save us. And let me give you my my uh, accurate interpretation of Skype. That's uh, that's Skype this week. <laughs> yeah, so pretty much, I came up here, you know, about half hour before the show, as I always do, and my laptop says, "Oh, you need a new Skype update." Okay, fine, I'll do that later. No, really, you need a new Skype update. Great, I'll do that later. No, you don't understand. You need a new Skype update. Fine. I'll do the Skype update. Great. This won't take long. 10 minutes passes. This won't take long. 15 minutes passes. This really won't take long. 30 minutes passes. I, I think Microsoft and I disagree on what will take long. I eventually kill that, reboot the machine, do a new install. Everything comes back up. It really didn't take long this time. Only I can't talk to anybody. <laughs> I can't call Seth. I can't talk to Miles. So... Yeah, so now we're not using Skype. We're using the the Hangouts audio, which is passable, and you, the listener, probably won't know the difference. But the the upside there is we're starting an hour late and and frustrated. So meh. So we were going to talk about storage um, and uh, uh, backups and and strategies for that sort of stuff. But now we're not. We're going to talk about crap going wrong, specifically at Equifax and West and Western Union. Um, uh, Wells Fargo, that's it. But before we do that, um, let's read an email from our friend The Erm. says, hey, I listen, recently listened to episode number 300 of the Geek, Geek Rant, where you were talking about DTube.video. I checked it out a couple of weeks ago, and while IPFS is cool, DTube is lacking a lot of features. For instance, the ability to subscribe. I highly recommend taking a look at bitshoot.com. BitChute has a lot more polish and uses WebTorrent. If you visit it with Chromium, you get stats. It's pretty cool. BitChute is missing a few key features like being able to embed video, and it'd be nice if the subscriptions showed an actual list of the most recent videos. But other than that, it's a functional site. Erm. And so Miles checked out BitChute and has this to say about it. Okay, Miles, thoughts on BitChute. Yeah, it's actually pretty good. Um, here's... Yeah, technically, it's really nice. It's well-polished. It's got some um, – it's very fast. Like, you start playing a video, it just plays, and you can move through that thing anywhere you want. And it, I didn't see any lag. It was pretty fast, um, which is great. Uh, I don't know if it's got the viewing numbers yet. The numbers are pretty low. I guess it just hasn't – people haven't caught on to it uh, yet. But, you know, there were a few videos with more than 20,000 views on them, so uh, they were a little bit older. But uh, yeah, it's 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 a thing. Um, it's got some. I'm giving you all the positives, right? Uh, it's got some good things on the commenting. They use that discuss or discuss. I don't know how you say it. Um, it's kind of like a plugin you see on WordPress sites uh, where you can comment, but you have to have logged in or authenticated who you were. And that seems to have cut down a lot of the 
YouTube trash commenting that you typically see, at least so far. I haven't, the 14 year olds haven't discovered this yet, but you know, that, that was there. Um, so yeah, I would say technically, uh, it's pretty solid. It's pretty good. Um, but here's the problem. It's still centralized in that bitshoot.com is centralized. And that's a problem. Um, you see, the whole reason why dtube.video is attractive is not because it's better than YouTube or the, the user experience is yet as good as, like you can't subscribe as, as the erm is correctly stated. That's not what the, the problems that it's really trying to address is. What it's really trying to address is the fact that everything is totally decentralized. So you're not, you know, like if you want to, if you're a YouTube, here's the thing. Oh, here's the big problem with BitChute though. You can't monetize it. There's no current monetization plan at all. Now they do say they're going to do something about that, but they've got the cart before the horse. The whole reason why people want to lose, want to want to leave YouTube is because they're not getting paid because YouTube's demonetizing their videos. And if you, I mean, I'm a real YouTube addict. Like, I, I watch ridiculous amount of YouTube every every week. And the reason why I can do that is because the videographers, the hosts, the video producers um, spit out a lot of content, right? But, it, you know, if you talk to any of them, they'll tell you it might take them six hours to do video editing on a 30-minute video. Well, unless you're getting paid, I'm sorry, you'll do that once or twice and then you'll be done with it and you'll say, I've got a life, I'm not doing this anymore. Um, and that's the problem. So there's no, if there's no monetization on BitChute, you will not get the big players moving to it because they can't make any money. And at least DTube.video gives them the opportunity of using a blockchain, making Steam, etc., um, which is, I think ultimately what is going to hold hold steady um so that, that's kind of where i'm at i like the technology uh that the erm has brought forward i think it's really cool it's mature it looks good and um the only thing i was missing was i'd like to see a something on my tv that i could you know watch while i'm doing it but but otherwise um no it's good uh, but if hosts can't make any money, it is going to die a natural death. Well, maybe. It just won't be what YouTube is, because YouTube wasn't for profit for a very long time. Uh, having said that, it didn't really explode until there was money to be made. So the two right. do sort of go hand in hand. We don't really need it, another YouTube. It couldn't YouTube. make money until it killed off all the competition. Then it could make money. They took the uh, Microsoft crap approach to destroy the market competition and then monetize it. So, yeah, now you, it's a good point. There's a history of destroyed video sites out there that have died because the cost of the bandwidth and the servers is, is immense. And unless you're monetizing it in some way, I can't see this, you know, being able to scale. Um, now, I, I granted in this case, BitTorrent is coming to the rescue uh, for content distribution, but. Man, there's a lot of ISPs which are shutting that thing down, and I'm not sure whether this is going to. I don't know. I, I, I like what I see technically, and so don't get me wrong. I'm I would happily watch it. It wouldn't be a problem, but I think decentralization, which is really the key goal that the IPFS crowd are trying to do, 
is a lot more than just having a slick user interface. Granted, without a slick user interface, it ain't going to go anywhere. And and the erm is right. Um, Dtube.video is like alpha level. It's not anywhere near uh, the mature, maturity here. Um, but I have a feeling that that would be kind of like judging uh, the quality of a car because of the quality of its hood ornament. I don't think that's fair. Uh, I have a feeling they're going to get their hood ornament under control. I mean, and also, you know, if you want to compare something to YouTube, you know, say that YouTube is a 2017 sedan, you know, it's polished and it's got all these features and all these bells and whistles. DTube is a 1907 Model T. It is just getting started. So it is going to lack so many features that if it gets the buy-in and to attract the developers, it can catch up really fast because everybody knows I want something that looks like that versus what do users want. But I want something that looks like that, but it's uh, easier to monetize and it's, you know, not proprietary technology. And then poof, you know, DTube could catch up in a year and be everything YouTube is and more. Well, the thing is we don't really need or want another YouTube. We have another YouTube. We have a YouTube. We want an alternative to it. And so hopefully, right. you know, these things will not be trying to become the thing that they're trying to replace, but will differentiate themselves in some way. Yeah, I think it's actually yeah, but- not us, the consumers, that are wanting another YouTube. It's the hosts. They want another way that they can make money where they're not going to have the money stripped away from them right. by a benevolent dictator. Yeah, and you know, and like Facebook took all the cool features of MySpace and dumped all the crap. And, you know, so it made a product that was like MySpace, but different. And so DTube can be like YouTube, but different. Right, and of course, so. you know, using that analogy, Facebook continued to then create crap of its own. So, you know, right. it's, a, it's, an ever, it's, a, it's an ever evolving thing. It has to be. Uh, so, yep. speaking of evolving things, we here in Georgia... Um, have uh, learned new methods of panic. Um, We are now panicking about a storm that is 700 miles away. Um, My children's school has been called off for to tomorrow and Tuesday uh, because of Hurricane Irma that has made landfall (laughs) in Southern Florida. And my office, and uh, actually the the governor, has declared a state of emergency uh, before a drop of rain has fallen in the state. Uh, and so certain pol- protocols have gone into place and businesses are shutting down because when there's a state of emergency, that's what they do. Now, you know, I'm making light of it. By the time Irma gets here, it is still projected to be up to a category one hurricane, possibly tropical storm. But we're talking straight line winds of 70 to 75 miles an hour with gusts uh, higher than that. So it's, it's going to be a significant event. But um, I, 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 me thinks perhaps... We are a little apt to to panic. I mean, uh, my wife and daughter on the way home from uh, well, they they did a thing after school, and all the way on the way home from that Friday evening, just happened to say, oh, "We're out of bread and milk. Let's stop at the the Kroger and get some bread and milk." And what they found were empty shelves and panic people, and 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 then after that, they were like, oh, "Well, turns out we actually do need a, a tank of gas, so let's stop for gas." Fifteen minute line to get gas, and then. Uh, it's uh, i don't i mean what's the worst that could possibly let's say it comes in at a full-on trop uh category one hurricane um status you know in in florida 
category one hurricanes aren't even an event really it's 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 a lot of rain it's a lot of wind stuff gets blown around maybe powers out localized in localized areas because trees fall on power lines but we're not looking at you know a houston level event i mean the, the 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 american continent hasn't seen a houston level event since people have been keeping records uh so i think we're just a little panicked and and we're all you know we're hoarding water and all that sort of stuff my my concern is yeah we will probably lose power big trees rain trees fall on power lines probably lose some power um you know i'm making sure that we have some some alternative solutions there we don't have a generator would have been nice to get a generator to keep the fridges running but meh you know it's probably not going to be down for more than a day or two uh so i just it's there's that fine line between prudence and overreaction um and i think that in the in the modern western society uh I, i'm not even going to blame the west in american society the uh the the pendulum swings all the way over to overreaction every time well you know you've got to compete with the 140 character news cycle and then the fact that nobody prepares for anything you know hurricane irma didn't cause a gas shortage in texas stupid retarded people on social media caused a gas shortage in texas that spiked the prices that still have only came down about 10 or 15 cents that's what caused the problem because nobody is like hey you know what would be smart is if i had a five gallon can of gas at the house you know what would be smart if i had a case of water and a week's worth of food that's not stupid prepper junk that's just being smart. The hurricane that came through five or six years ago, I mean, we got like some gusts up to tropical storm strength. Mostly it was tropical depression and winds. I went to Walmart during the quote unquote height of the storm in Van Zant County just to just because I was curious. And it looked like somebody had detonated a bomb in the store. <laughs> you know, the water was empty. The food was empty. It was like stuff was just lying on the, and I mean, I'm just looking around going, did the zombie apocalypse happen? Have we been raided? And it was just, people are stupid. And you know, it's that line from, um, men in black, men in black. Yeah. A person is smart, but people are stupid and social media subtracts a thousand points of a person's intelligence for every one person that's on it. So, I mean, there's, there's no hope. I mean, I really don't know how American culture can survive to 2018. Well, let, let me give you, the, I mean, let me give you the positive if there is anything. And firstly, you know, my heart goes out to anybody in Florida, Houston, who's suffering because of all of these natural events. Um, you know, let's hope there's no, you, you can get through this thing and you don't have any permanent damage afterwards. I mean, that's, I'll start from there. Now, let me give you the positive. We had a whole week of nonstop CNN and everybody else doing hurricane watch and we didn't have to listen to Trump. So <laughs> that was the positive, right? And the stories and were almost all about good people doing good things. Yeah. yeah. It was so refreshing. Yeah, so, no you know. um, anti-FAFA stupidity or anything like that on the news. So, And, you know, like I have Facebook friends who live in the Keys and they evacuated up into the panhandle. And, you know, so, I mean, I'm glad they got out because I would have hate to have been there when it came through. But when you're in Georgia, hundreds and hundreds of miles from the coast, I mean, people, 
don't go crazy yeah yeah i from from key west florida to my address is roughly 800 miles um figure some of that is you know google maps right so some of that is curves and whatever let's take 100 miles out let's say they're they're off by 100 miles that's 700 miles of continent that irma has to go through to get here now admittedly this is a big dang storm um uh, hurricane categories are are wind force they don't as far as i know there's no measure of of land mass that they cover and this thing from tip to tip will cover florida like it will be leaving florida and entering florida at the same time this thing is massive so yeah it's going to be big it's going to bring a lot of rain but i've got people well-meaning people who love me you know suggesting that i fill a 50 gallon trash can full of clean water uh in case the substations go down and and go out and and videotape all of my possessions uh so that i can have to fill out uh, insurance forms i'll have the the video and actually did use the word tape so that tells you this is not a young person who's giving me this (laughs) advice um but yeah if we come out of this a couple of days from now if wednesday morning um i am up to my ankles in water on the first floor of my home i will eat a a, a nice roasted crow but for now i really think it's much ado about nothing but having said all that in a state of emergency people and that my beloved cowboys are playing football right now and with an hour and a half of technical difficulties i'm here doing a show you know what that deserves that deserves you going to patreon.com slash uh element opie and pledging a dollar it just does plain and simple now moving <laughs> yeah. on let's talk about people who don't deserve what they got or deserve way more than they didn't get or whatever so uh I- i'm gonna first jump into uh before we get to the other one wells fargo uh last year said hey we had about a million fake accounts created our so- internal sales policies were such that we rewarded people for uh opening fake accounts uh, fake accounts often using real people's names so they'd go into the database and and bob smith of of 123 main street has a, a bank a, a checking account we're going to open a savings account in the name of bob smith of 123 main street they did that to the tune of about two million times and there was a big scandal and everybody got fired nope not at all nobody got fired so just this last week labor day weekend so you know to to slip it in there when nobody's paying attention when all the news stories are about uh lake safety and don't be uh, drunk on the lake they come out and say oh uh we found another 1.4 million accounts sorry about that oops and then some reports have it as high as another two and a half um and they're just slipping that in there and they're getting away with it i don't understand how that happens how do you commit felony three million times and have no repercussions of it greed that's it it's as simple as that i mean you can all all honesty and ethics go out the door when it comes to greed and they use every single form of excuse as to why this is acceptable behavior yeah and i was going to say there are consequences their fraud cover-up slush fun it took a hit so you know there were consequences they aren't going to uncover anything else until next year there's real life consequences to no 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 they've got to pretend to be good it won't be next year year. it'll be thanksgiving like black friday they'll come out and say oh no no, i we found another two i didn't say it wouldn't happen this year i said they wouldn't report it till next year (laughs) 
Look, they're no, they're no different to like HSBC Bank that were funding terrorists and drug cartel money and got a little slap on the wrist of a, I don't know, some half a billion dollar fine or something for doing that. But at the end of the day, what, why can people come to the realisation that this is, is acceptable behaviour? I mean, clearly it's not. The little guy would be in jail over this sort of thing, and the big guys think, well, if we get away with it, we can find a way to spin it, and it's acceptable behavior. Well, don't bank with these people. That's the way you deal with it. You just don't give them your business. I mean, but I don't know. These guys are obviously trustworthy because they tell us how evil Bitcoin is. (laughs) And you still see people opening bank accounts and taking out mortgages with Wells Fargo, doing business as usual because... It takes a couple of hours of frustration to move your bank accounts. And so right. you would just continue to do business with criminals because it's just easier. <laughs> what choice do you have? You, name me one of those banks that isn't doing crap like well, this. Well, you can well, go to local, a local, credit, local union. credit union. Exactly. Where you are the owner and you have some authority. Right. And I have a and local a credit union. I have a local credit union in my <laughs> building where I work. I walk past it every day when I get on the elevator. Do I have an account there? No. My account is with Bank of America because <laughs> it's too difficult to change accounts. See, every one of my accounts are with credit unions. I don't have a, an account with a regular retail bank because they're just ridiculous in terms of fees and costs and and uh, you don't get any service. Well, here's the weird thing. I, I did have an account with Bank of America. And it was constantly frustrating and very expensive. And what really annoyed me was every time I walked into a branch, there was this person full-time employed at the front, uh, at the doorway or behind a little kind of counter thing who would welcome me into the branch. They couldn't do anything. They had no skills to actually transact or be a teller, but they they were a greeter. It's the Walmart greeter. It was like a Walmart greeter, but at Bank of America. And I felt if that's where my money is going to pay a greeter, I'm out of here. And that was the straw that broke my camel's back. Well, in in reality, most uh, most of the banks I've been to, um, that person's actually the manager. So they're greeting you. No, these weren't. These were like interns from the local university. (laughs) Nice. All right. But, you know, Mark Twain. Uh, is famously quoted as saying, put all your eggs in one basket and then watch that basket. So we have a handful of large corporate businesses like this, and and people trust them because of their size. They're, they're too big to fail, right? And these people would never do us wrong. Bank of America would never do anything corrupt. Wells Fargo would never open um, you know, uh, bogus accounts. Equifax would never release all of your social security and, and account number informations uh, to the world to see, right? That would never happen. <laughs> yeah it was um what i found that was extremely telling is you know they say that there was a certain day they were notified on the of the hack but the day before three of their top executives sold um between like five and 13 percent of their equifax stake and made between just under a million dollars to like about uh just under a quarter of a million dollars but yet they prove they they say trust us we're honest we didn't know about the hack when we sold the shares and of course you know the shares tumbled like 13 percent upon the news and i hate bloomberg because i forgot to mute the tab yep. they have crap on their website great financial advice 
crappy website. Thank you, Bloomberg. But yeah, so <laughs> Equifax, you know, they were apparently they they didn't just say, "Hey, does anybody want our data?" They they got hacked and they found out about it and they notified people. But like I say, they let the executives sell stuff first. So uh, way to go, Equifax. And th- here's the thing I hate. You know, okay, we're American citizens. So the government has our data. That's just the, you know, that's just the thing of being an American citizen. And if the government gets hacked, well, you know, what can you do about that? I don't do business with Equifax. I don't have really any control over the fact that they have my data. And the only service they provide is to bleep people who are out to get loans and stuff. And yes, I know that's being facetious, but not by much. No, it's, it's, one of it's these accurate. <laughs> that exists that businesses build up because, hey, I'm a CEO and you're a CEO. We need to get some more high-level CEOs in this club. What can we do? We can start a credit monitoring service. Well, first, we have to create another company that comes up with the credit score, and then we'll have these other companies that don't really use that credit score. They use their own credit score, but they reference that credit score so they can be CEOs too. And then all this does is take money out of people's pockets and line it to executives who are busy patting each other on. That's, I found out that's what executives do. They visit other executives and pat them on the back. They don't really do much in the way of actual work, but there's a lot of back patting. I think their hands are actually a little lower when they're standing in that circle. Just saying. You think so? Maybe not in the back. So, yeah, but so anyway, Equifax got hacked. You know, companies get hacked. I understand it, but don't sell 13% of your stake um, and make a million dollars the day before the hack is released. And the thing is, these weren't part of their uh, 10B51 scheduled trading plan. So, you know, when comp- when the executives like that sell stock, they like do this plan, you know, to say, hey, this isn't insider trading. I'm just going to sell some stock and I'm going to sell it on this day. And there's all these filings. But this wasn't a part of that. This was just a quick million that the CFO wanted to make. Yeah. yeah and, and it doesn't and have anything to do with this hack. The, the thing that bothers me most about this, yes, that's that's a terrible thing. But if you read um, uh, on in, on Equifax's own website, where they come out and announce it, it says uh, 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 September 7th, 2017, they release a news wire uh, today announced that a cybersecurity incident potentially impacting approximately 143 million U.S. customers. Uh, criminals exploited a website. Uh, the information included names, social security numbers, birth dates, addresses, and in some instances, driver's license. Okay, this was on September 7th. You know when they found this? July 29th. They went a month, went five weeks before they mentioned it. So five weeks of cover-ups and, and you know, uh, CYA actions, five weeks of people having my social security number, driver's license, address, and, and names and date of birth. What can you do with that information? Oh, I don't know. Anything? <laughs> anything you want to do with that information that is those are all the proof of question uh, proof of identity questions anywhere you're asked anywhere in the world well, for five weeks that information's been on the market and they haven't said a thing let's give some context to this because there's probably people listening to the show who may not be in the u.s and probably don't realize the the importance of what they do so it, it, just to give a little context there's this thing in the united states called a fico score And a FICO score is a lazy way that a bank or a a credit provider can make a determination about your credit worthiness. 
And it's a number that sits somewhere between 500 and 800 and something. And uh, the higher, the better. So in order to calculate that number, they take all of this input data that comes from things like your credit bureaus, any public records from courts that might be on file, um, credit and banking reporting services that report in, and they do this mathematical tabulation and work out whether you're a good or a bad risk to somebody to loan you money. Well, you know, in a world where we live on credit, I mean, we do. We we can't. You can't get a mortgage without credit. You can't rent a place without a you know credit score or a, a application rental application screening, um, and all these things become they they tell the the rest of the world who you are from a trustworthiness standpoint. Um, well, there are three bureaus that create this data. There's Experian, there's Equifax, and there's TransUnion, and different banks. And, and credit providers subscribe to their services to buy access to their data, to their report, to ultimately get this magic FICO number, which says when when I want to go and apply to get a loan for a car or something, what my credit worthiness is. And, and, and we, let me let me interject here. It's yeah, a reciprocal thing. If you buy the access, you also must give them information. That's so right. If you it, it, your your landlord, if you're a renter, probably submits data to these three organizations so that they can then get the data when they're trying to decide whether or not you're a good credit risk. Yeah, and and you know, if you go to jail, that gets submitted. If you, you know, default on a, a ju- you get a judgment in a court, it's submitted. Um, if you have student loans, they're submitted. If you have health bills, they're submitted. Everything's submitted that comes up with this magic number that tells the world whether you're a good or a bad person. There's no context. It's just math and, and banking and this is how the banks work. And people in banking are lazy. They look at a FICO score and they go, mm, computer says no. And then that's the end of your loan. They don't look at you as a human. We've forgotten about how to do that since about the 80s. So, so this is important. And, and the thing is that if we've succumbed and given up our right to be judged as a human being on our potential and what we've achieved and, and what doesn't fit these scores, then the importance of these credit bureaus to do the right thing and to be truthful and to be honest on our behalf is critical to our ability to live in the Western world. Because if you if they've got bad data on you, you don't get that rent, you don't get that car, you don't get that mortgage. And that means you probably don't get that job because they're also looking at credit score as well. So this is this is something that is a little more important than just Home Depot losing a bunch of Visa card numbers. This is life and death for a lot of people. So you would think that with this level of importance sitting over the top of any one of these three bureaus, that they would actually have your back, wouldn't you? And of course, they would love to sell that to you because they're selling you credit reporting services and scanning to see if you got somebody stole your data and there's identity theft on you. And oh, by the way, you pay them for that and that they will scan and make sure no bad guy out there's got your data. Meanwhile... They gave all your data to the bad guys. <laughs> so I'm, I'm at the gym this afternoon. I'm, I'm on the treadmill watching the TV screens that are up there. And as I'm going through doing my regular workout, what do I see advertised on TV this afternoon? 
Equifax credit scanning services and they're trying to sell this stuff after this hack after this ex- this absolute disaster they have the audacity to get up and still try and sell you scanning of data they just lost so th- th- at some point we the people have to realize we're not that dumb we can't just sit there and take this anymore. It's ridiculous. Oh, I, I want to add one thing to this. Um, shortly after this went public, uh, Equifax put a website up where you could register to see whether your data had been leaked. And apparently that website was a WordPress website. And within about half oh, an Lord. hour, yeah, half an hour, some hackers hacked it and openly published the name and password of the administrator to the WordPress site these people put up. And this is who we're putting in trust of our basic human rights to financial security in the Western world. I rest my case. And so what I was talking about is you can take somebody's social security number, uh, a number given at birth by the government that is never to be used for personal identification, Um, uh, but you can take somebody's social security number, their address, their driver's license, you can take all that, and you can open any account in the world. You can commit uh, fraud all over the place. And Equifax says, well, we're going to offer fraud protection through our own company. They've set up a shell company to offer uh, protection. Why Why would I trust them? If anything, they should offer protection through one of the things offered by one of the other companies, Trans TransUnion or uh, the other one whose name I can't remember right now. Experian. Experian, that's it. Um, they're not going to, and, and honestly, I wouldn't trust them if they did either. Uh, but all this means is that uh, you know they will uh, run a, a, a couple of extra scans uh, for your names in a database. I, I can't imagine this is going to be anything real uh, in terms of protection. And if it was... Why would I trust them? Now, I get it. Hacks happen all the time. It, it's a thing. If, if you've got something valuable, Fort Knox is going to be broken into at some point. If you've got something valuable, bad guys with time and, and intelligence are going to get after your information. And Equifax, TransUnion, and Experience, these, these credit reporting agencies, have become warehouses, storehouses, uh, Fort Knox of, of information, they're going to be attacked. I'm not even mad at them for getting attacked. I'm mad at them for waiting five weeks to tell us about it. I'm mad at them for intentionally selling their stocks before they released the information so they didn't take such a hit. And I'm mad at them for only offering to protect us by using their own services. That that I mean, what kind of sacrifice is that? What kind of repayment is that for the, the potential loss? It's none. So this is just sleaze on top of sleaze on top of sleaze, and these people are going to come out completely clean because they control the data. And yeah, I can't boycott them. It's not an exactly you know, right. I mean, you know, if Google got hacked, I can say I'm shutting. I'm not using another Google product, and I'm going to see. I'm going to go to Bing and look up the highest Google AdWords users and not use their stuff either. I mean, I wouldn't do that because I'm lazy, um, but and I like watching stuff on YouTube. But that would be an option. You know, what's my option with Experian? Cash only. I mean, that, that's your option. Bitcoin, cash only business. But but not only that. Not only could even if you did spend cash, all the things you spent cash on are going to be reporting that you cannot get out yeah, but, of the system. 
That's true. I mean, you know, if I do cash and, you know, they ask me what my name is and I tell them a name and they say, uh, could I get your email address? And I say, no. Or they say, do you have an email address? And I say, yes. And they say, what is it? And I say, you'll never find out. You know, I mean, you know, it's hard to track that back to a person, but then you don't have a credit score and you go say, I would like to buy a house, please. Here's a 30% down payment. Or, you know, I want to pay 90% down. They'll say, um, I'm sorry, you don't have a credit score. I don't know how to give you a loan. Well, and so yeah, you're screwed. Your, your, your thing doesn't even work there, Seth, because, uh, the only way to be completely off the grid is to not have electricity and not have a cell phone. All of these people report to the system. You can't, well, you, true. you could, you could only buy burner phones for the rest of your life with cash and you could have phone service that way. The only way you're going to get electricity is if somebody else, if you live in somebody else's house, you're not going to get water. Uh, because the, all the water supply places, you know, you even if you paid cash, they're going to know who you are and they're going to record your payments. Uh, there, there's Solar just no way. Well. <laughs> yeah, you can dig a well, right? And you can you can do solar and wind power. You have to literally be off the grid. You have to be, you know, the Unabomber here. That's the only way to not have your data in these guys' systems. And then you got to wait 15 years for them to purge the data that you already have. Then. Then you can be anonymous. You could be an anonymous sixty-year-old so living I, on a van I, down I wanna, by the river. <clears throat> I want to touch on a whole bunch of questions <laughs> that nobody seems to want to ask right now. Was this done by some hacker for the lols, or was this done by some state-sponsored group who want to be able to get to the core of the United States mentality of safety? And if so, what's the what's the end result of this? Are we a weaker society because of this? Uh, this happened, and what do you think that the end result of that? Because I mean, look, I, I'll I'll say it. This is freaking 1984. This is George Orwell, Big Brother, right there. And now you see the downside of it being poorly managed. I honestly believe that Equifax were not that stupid to let the to, to leave the door unlocked for for some 14 year old kid to come in and grab all this data for the lols and brag to his buddies at school no that didn't happen this was done by an organized attack for a specific purpose both financial but i would say even more so to undermine the security of the people of the united states what do you think of that Okay, I don't think I'll it's that grand. You, and I will I will up you a better conspiracy theory. It was done by a cabal of the leading government and financial and business sectors in the United States to force through more totalitarian <laughs> totalitarian regulations to restrict your freedom even further. So Ooh, there, I one. see your conspiracy and raise you. <laughs> And it's and and they're putting mind control chemicals in the vaccines, right? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I mean, but yeah. Here's the thing: prove prove me wrong. Yeah. Where's the oh. data that proves me wrong? I think you I think you you've got to be onto something because at the end of the day, money is more powerful than government because these these banks are too big to fail because they own the government. We're twenty something trillion dollars in debt to these bastards. And they own us. So when anything that happens on their watch goes down, they get a pass. 
I mean, you you know, these three guys who sold short on their stocks before this thing got public, you think they're going to get jail time for that? They yeah. should, but they're probably not. But I, yeah, I guarantee not. one thing, if you were working for, I don't know, uh, American Express or some company as just a lowly employee and you discovered something, if you decided to buy something and sell it short, you'd be going to jail. But if you're a VP of some big honking bank, you get a pass. How is that? How yeah, is the that reason Martha's right? The reason Martha Stewart went to jail, she wasn't connected enough. Right. Yeah. So I, I, Sorry, I'm, Mark. <laughs> there's something going on here, which is way bigger than Experian just got hacked. But it's more important that what happens afterwards. So. I mean, look, it's just going to affect anybody in the United States' ability to go and get a loan. Uh, let's say six months from now, everybody's credit cards got hacked. People are opening credit cards in your name and you've all, we've all got identity theft problems and we're all shutting down accounts and reopening new accounts. And then I, I, I know this as a landlord, right? We, we get rental applications all the time for tenants. And one of the things that comes on the reports that we get is if somebody has submitted to the credit reporting agencies that they think that they're a victim of identity fraud, that information gets stamped on their report. We see that. When we see that, we know the report is meaningless and we can't trust it. Now, if I'm in a position where I have to make a decision on somebody's ability to rent property from me and I don't have any financial history to go by, it's a very, very hard decision to make. I have to go and actually do my job of talking to the people and meeting them and work out where they live and how they live and look at their Facebook pages and, and do all of the things that would normally be done. I have to actually do that. I'm okay with that. But is your local bank okay with that? Is your car rental place you want to rent the car from okay with that? Are the T-Mobile store going to be okay when you sign up for an account and they see that same data? No. They're going to say, ah, sorry, there's something on here we don't trust and you, you have to go somewhere else. Well, in that case, I mean, I, I don't disagree with your logic there, but if that is truth, then my hope is that the breach would be bigger. You know, the only thing that's going to work is if they bring, uh, if they if they bring the whole system down. Um, but like you said, we've over the last thirty years, uh, we have created an entire system that depends on this magical score. Uh, that is that is black box magic that nobody knows anything about. Um, and uh, you're right, you you can't get a loan. You can't. My gosh, Bloomberg! <laughs> I muted one video. It stopped playing. It started playing another one, unmuted. Oh, yeah, I'm just going right to close that tab. Mute the tab. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, now I'm just mad at Bloomberg for being <laughs> morons. Don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> oh, I can if they deliver the message with daggers. Anyway, um, I've completely lost my train of thought. No idea what I was saying. Um but I, I'm going to hope it would be bigger. I have to be the voice of reason among the black helicopter tribe here and <laughs> say that uh, this was not a grand plan to destabilize the country. Um, this was some guys, you know, going to breaking into the bank because that's where the money is. Um, 
and they want to do bad things with the information they can get there. They can blackmail people with it. They don't actually have to open false accounts and do that sort of stuff. There's lots of things you can do with that kind of information because with that kind of information, you can. it's pretty easy to find out who the, the, the whales are. They're not going to attack me. I don't have enough money. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty much uh, you know invincible in this scenario because I don't have any money. They they can't do anything. They they could open some accounts, that sort of thing. Uh, but but the real danger is that they're, they're going to go after 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 the whales, these Equifax guys. So I, I think it was somewhere between doing it for the lulls and the black helicopter troop. It's, it's somewhere in between there. It was it was definitely some uh, determined and intelligent hackers who uh, wanted the information and found the information. Um, the problem is there should not be storehouses of this information. End of sentence. Right. Well, it's going to be harder for anybody to get credit going forward because now, because of this incident and the, the, how widespread it was, any credit provider or any car rental company, phone company, anybody you're committing to a longer-term relationship than an individual transaction, those organizations are going to not trust the data they have on you and they're going to be on guard they're not going to be willing to give anything until you jump through four hoops rather than three. And, you know, you better have a passport with your photo on it. You better have driver's license with your photo on it. And maybe the best way to guarantee to them that you are who you say you are is maybe they need some DNA. Maybe they need your fingerprint. Maybe they need an so, iris scan. Just to put this in, in context, Miles keeps talking about the size of this. Uh, 143 million customers in the U.S. At last census, the population of the U.S. was 323 million. That's all, everybody who has a pulse, all right? So of those 323 million, how many of them are minors under age 18 that don't have credit information? I I, I could make a case for half of them, pretty convincingly. In my home, it's uh, three-fifths of them. So essentially... This is every American over the age of 18. That's how big this is. This is yeah, everyone. Worst, worst case scenario, it's half the country. Worst case scenario. Oh, I'm best sorry, case. best case scenario, yeah. it's yeah. half the country. So th- the system is going to have to change. And maybe if there was a, a, a cabal working together, maybe that's what they were trying to do, to bring down the system as it is. Because you're right, Miles, it can't continue in the way that it is. Uh, and I personally don't think that's a bad thing at all. No, I mean, look, um, maybe I don't want to keep going on about Bitcoin, but maybe that is the savior here. Some immutable blockchain of evidence that cannot be faked, that cannot be that cannot be disputed because it's it's locked in by decentralization and math. And we break through. We we come out of this with a much stronger appreciation for not putting all of our eggs in one basket or one of three baskets. Uh, And maybe that is something that will be a long term benefit to everybody. Because I I honestly think we can trust that. I just don't think we can trust these guys. They're dinosaurs. Uh, It's ridiculous. Like if if I go to make it, if I go to a restaurant and I pay for my meal. And I put my credit card in the little credit card, you know, wallet that comes out with the bill. And they take that thing away. They've taken away my entire bank account. 
they've got everything they need to use to go and buy a flat screen TV at Best Buy and then sell it on Craigslist, pocket the money and, and shove off to the Bahamas. And I'm giving it to them. It's a stupid system. And so many of our banking uh, infrastructure is based on 1950s technology, 1960s technology that is just fundamentally flawed in the day of the internet. It doesn't work anymore. And this is just one example of one of those prehistoric dinosaurs that in this particular case decided to poop out all your data all over the, all over the land. So we have to change. We have to get away from centralization and we have to put the power back in the hands of the individual in something we can all trust. See, the problem with switching to Bitcoin is until that switch is made, there's got to be an on-ramp, off-ramp of, um, you know, Bitcoin to fiat. And so what happens is with this data, they can then trace the blocks and then be able to follow that money around forever. Yeah, so I, I don't mind them. Yeah, I don't mind them following the money. What I'm more curious is that maybe a better way of handling credit reports and and this sort of fiscal data would be done with maybe smart contracts or with some sort of a, a methodology that is secure and cryptographically hidden away and in a place where it cannot be tampered with and changed. And I'm thinking like a. a a service like Ethereum would be an ideal solution to something like this. I don't know. I, I, I have too much distrust for that system to work because I don't know somewhere your information that you own those, um, you own those blocks on the blockchain. You know, you even if you have a hardware key, what happens when that key fails? Well, you can recover it by having like a security token and this and that, which means your data is still stored on somebody's system. So you've just, you know, made it harder to recover, but it's still there. You're still not out from under this system. I think it's yeah. going to come down to a question of how we all trust the institution of, of data. And, and it's not just, I mean, it, yes, this data is being used for banking purpose, but this is a big brother database on all of us. And we've given the keys to some bad guy out there to go and wreak havoc with it. And at the end of the day, we don't know what the end result's going to be. People don't trust this sort of thing anymore. And uh, I don't know what you do. I think we're way too entrenched in it, though. I don't think you can back out of this. Trust is always the problem. Seth doesn't trust the uh, the the blockchain. Miles doesn't trust guys in suits, and they're both right. It's not that I don't trust the blockchain, but you've still got to be able to prove who you are to the blockchain. You know, the answer isn't for to have a site like Coinbase and they hold my keys because then somebody can hack into Coinbase and get my stuff. You know, so are we all going to walk around with our little hardware wallets? Well, what happens if somebody steals my wallet and puts a gun to my head and says same thing that happens if they steal your cash? Yeah. So but then how do I go and get that stuff back? Same thing you do if you get your cash. You don't. It's gone. And that's a method that worked for centuries (laughs) <laughs> whatever mm-hmm. thing we said was valuable whether it was gold or or whether it was a fiat currency cash once it was gone it was gone and you took terms to protect you carried a sidearm and that was your protection we have lost the personal responsibility 
because we've trusted the guys in the suits to take care of us. If somebody uh, uh, uses my credit card for fraudulent purposes, oh, I'm not liable for that. Um, if we go back to a cash-like model, whether it be an electronic model or we're actually carrying around chunks of, of shiny rocks with us, what, if we go back to that model, we're, we put the responsibility on the person. This is yours. Protect it. If you don't, it is gone. Gone forever. Gone for good. Gone immutably. Gone. And that has worked for millennia. Only recently have we decided somebody else needs to be responsible to protect my stuff. Well said. Pearls of wisdom, people. What he just said, it should be written in stone somewhere. Take responsibility for your stuff. All right. You mean it's not the government's responsibility? <laughs> no, it's not the government's responsibility to give you money after you stop working either, believe it or not. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point, actually. Yeah, that's... Um, I, I, this is sort of a segue from here to something that's uh, aligned with this. But I saw some very interesting, uh, disturbing video today from Elon Musk on his uh, position regarding artificial intelligence. And it is interrelated here because um, he did this very interesting interview, and I think it was pretty recent, it might have been the last couple of weeks, in which he basically sees the acceleration of artificial intelligence to the point where it's like summoning the de a, a demon and then thinking that everything will just be okay. Um, and I think that what he's seeing, because, you know, like Tesla, they do all that autonomous driving stuff and they're, they're big on that sort of thing. He, he honestly, when I watched this video, this guy was like scared. He was like really frightened about what the world is becoming because we humans aren't taking responsibility for anything anymore and we're just giving it away to a robot or to a computer or to a banker or to a credit bureau. And uh, it's curious, you know, it, I would suggest to anybody who wants to keep on top of where AI is going uh, and how this might affect you in one, two, three or five years uh, to take a watch of this thing, because it was very it was very interesting. So if I hear you saying the summary of his article is prelude to the Matrix uh, worse, he's basically saying that the rate of uh, artificial intelligence uh, growth in terms of the speed in which it can make a decision and it can interpret the, the environment around it and it can use all of the factors of movement and facial recognition and things like that and predictive uh, planning on where somebody's going to drive or when they're going to walk out in front of you or they've got their head down or even Facebook and you know they're going to walk into a pole, all those sort of things that he has computers that can predict it. Apparently, the, 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 some of the things that I heard were things like um, the speed of electronic uh, data communication is a thousand times faster than the speed that our brain can transfer data within itself. And as a result, the computers will very quickly outweigh our ability to think. They'll outthink us 10 times before we even get to the point of thinking. And what I think is that that's going to cause an issue culturally uh, because we will have a problem with 
obviously jobs. That's going to be the first one. But we're also going to be in a situation where if we lull, if we're lulled into a sense of security over allowing the computers to do our decision making, and that you know we we trust the the computers to take care of everything, it it appears that on a very very fast path right now that could become a massive problem for us. And we're seeing just a small part of it right now. Here, here's how we solve the problem. What we do is we make the computer, every computer AI out there has to take a 769 question test and fill it out with a Scantron and mail it to the Department of Education for hand grading and then wait on the results <laughs> before they do anything. And I think we can come up easily seven or eight different tests. We give them at different parts of the year to make sure they're learning and mastering the subjects they're supposed to. And that will fix this problem. Nip it right in the butt. <laughs> Ray's Kurzweil, Kurzweil in an interview I listened to uh, a while back was asked the question, does God exist? And his answer was not yet, but we're working on it. Um, <laughs> and that falls in line with what Elon Musk says. At some point, we're going to create machines that so far outstrip us, they will be gods. Yeah. Yeah, they will. And and what his concern appeared to be was whether they're there, I mean, if you think in terms of, like I was driving back from a restaurant this week. My wife and I went out for lunch. We come out of the parking lot of this restaurant and turn onto the street and two self-driving Uber cars were driving right next to us with the spinning thing on the roof, you know, that senses all the data. Two of them, one behind the other, perfectly positioned, perfectly driving, somebody sitting in there but with no hands on the wheel just chatting to the people in the back, you know, as they got their Uber drive. It freaks me out. But that is the, it's not because the car's driving itself. I mean, that's one thing. It's because of all of the AI, which is in there scanning its exterior and knowing where everything is in regards to the car and predictively determining what that thing will do, whether somebody's going to run a red light or, or cut in front of them or something like that. And, these computers are really good. They're better than we are. So if we've got that sort of exterior, you know, it all started with the Internet of Things where we started to get the digital world embracing the physical world. Well, now the digital world is predicting the physical world and it's positioning where it wants to be in regards to where it thinks the physical world's going to be before the physical world's even thought about being there. And it's, it's just continuing from that point on. And I, look, I praise the smart, the smart new generation of, of geniuses that are coming up with this AI. I mean, they're absolutely amazing at what they've been able to do, but I don't think they see the legacy that's going to be coming on from what they're doing. Um, and at the end of the day, we won't be... A, we won't be allowed to drive a car. We won't be allowed to, uh, you know, get a loan. It will be dictated to us pr predictively because the computer will look at our past behavior and determine our future behavior, and that will become what it thinks the world will be, and it's already def decided who you're going to be, how old you're going to live to, what sort of house you're going to live in, what sort of car you're going to drive, and how many kids you're going to have. Oh, so China or the Soviet Union. Got it. Yeah. But without the people making the decision, all done by machine. Because it's cheaper to make machines do it, right? Yeah. Sounds like the giving, the giver, right? Wasn't that that 
teenage book where everybody's was told anyway never mind uh it's it's a dystopian future predicted by many uh i am more optimistic uh i don't think we're dumb enough to make machines that don't have off switches i mean we've we've all seen enough sci-fi to make sure there's an off switch but Mark, we'll you've looked at your Facebook in the last decade, haven't you? <laughs> you know, we were also dumb enough to trust the suits at Equifax, to be honest. So maybe my face in humanity is is uh, woefully mis- mishandled. If, if, if we need an off switch, it's for those suits at Equifax. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, careful. That's dangerous talk right there. Um, <laughs> See, here's the thing. AI knew we were going to be talking about this tonight. It's <laughs> trying to prevent us. It didn't work. But we prevailed over the machines. <laughs> At one point, I was like, you know, we can just get on the phone and talk to, to each other. That's a thing that can happen. Um, step back into the 1980s. Yeah. Wow. What, what a world, huh? I mean, this was, I couldn't have predicted this 15 years ago. I couldn't have predicted this five years ago. I mean, I knew Equifax were there, and I knew they could probably get hacked. I mean, that's just expected behavior. But a society that is completely run by machines, and this is one little instance of where it went wrong, and we know that, as I think Seth, you had said before, that this will be an opportunity for them to lock us down even further. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't, it doesn't look all that positive future-wise for me. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that it's, it's all dooming. And gloom, but we've got to be super careful, geeks. You know, there was an uh, a science fiction show, kind of like modern day thing, where uh, there was like this kind of like this e impulse that wrecked all technology, and so people were like, you know, only cash, and because nobody carried cash, nobody could buy stuff. And then, as the movie went on you realize that it wasn't like the Chinese that had done it to Americans. It was the government did it to the population because, you know, the population was too deep in debt and too stupid, basically. And it was, you know, kind of a dystopian modern day science fiction thing. And man, you know, I really wasn't depressed about life until I got on this podcast tonight. Man, y'all, normally I'm the one bringing it down, but. Y'all are killing me. Yeah. All right, so let's get out of this tailspin and talk about the best gaming system ever created, hands down. Seth, what happened this week in history? (laughs) Yes, Mark. On September the 9th, 1998, the Sega Dreamcast debuts in North America. It had previously launched in Japan, but this was the North American uh, debut, and among the awesome features first uh, gaming console with a modem to allow seamless online gameplay yes it was a modem and you know it was but it was the first one it had to start somewhere and a feature that i think has been neglected to their peril is some of the uh, enhancements for like the controller in playing football you could call your play on the controller and the other guy couldn't see and try to guess so Lots of neat things. The Dreamcast was a revolutionary machine. Um, The problem was PlayStation dominated the uh, gaming market. And all they said was, hey, we're going to come out with a PS2 sometime next year. And everybody went, oh, crap, I'm not going to buy a Dreamcast. And so, unfortunately, and this was uh, Sega's last. Um, entry into the console hardware market but man if this is your last entry it's a pretty it's great a way, way to go. go sega dreamcast debuted this week in 1998 uh and now back to you mark 
The Dreamcast of 1998 had better specs than the Generation 1 Xbox that was released some six years later. Um, it was it was phenomenal. Uh, I was an early adopter on that one. Uh, I saved up my pennies. I went out and bought the console and several memory modules and four wireless controllers with the bump uh, thing so it could vibrate in your hands. And I spent um, probably $600 and a couple of games uh, all together. And within six months, I walked into a pawn shop and saw a stack of them at the pawn shop for five bucks each. Uh, that's how quickly the thing fell apart. They're pretty collectible um, these days, aren't they? I don't know. But, I mean, there there was a time in like 1999 where you could go get, you could pick up a dozen of them for, for a hundred bucks. Oh. It was crazy. <laughs> uh, it just fell apart. They stopped making games. And, and it's not that the console wasn't good. They just stopped making games. All the the game manufacturers said, "Well, we'll just we'll just make for Sony, and we hear Microsoft is making something, and so we'll just keep doing that." And so we had this amazing system with five games on it, and and that was it. It included yeah. a web browser, a, a specially skinned version of Netscape. That was thinking ahead, because you've never really browsed the web until you've done it with a controller in your hand, going click 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 A, click 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 C. Click, 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 <laughs> I. <laughs> Couldn't you either use a USB keyboard or wasn't there a special keyboard you could buy? I don't know. I never saw it if they do us. I didn't think they even invented USB back in those days. Didn't that come? No, it wasn't oh, USB, but there might have been a thing. keyboard. Yeah. They were using no, Bluetooth back before anybody did. Yeah. The Anyway, crazy good stuff. Uh, and then, Seth, I refuse to click on this link that you're going to do next, so I'm just going to introduce the segment, mute my headphones, and then you talk about it, and just give me a little wave when you're done. So, Seth, what do you have to lower other people's productivity, not mine, because I refuse to click on it? Um, I gave the uh, Element Opiates the alchemy game, browser-based game. You start out with a few bare minerals and you combine them to make stuff and then you combine them to make stuff and then you make other stuff and can you make everything in the game? And so it was such a hit. Um, littlealchemy2.com is out now. So just go to littlealchemy2.com. You click play and um, it remembers where you were. So if you come back later on the same browser, it'll be there. I don't even remember the starting alchemists or things but among such things i have i have beach i have fire and um, i have a black hole so uh top that um but anyway littlealchemy2.com for all of your time wasting needs and tell them seth sent you okay mark oh I'm okay done. i see that seth is done uh <laughs> i i'm sure he said something interesting and i'm just gonna say if you'd like to uh to let us know what you think about the coming apocalypse and how we're all doomed uh you can go to elementop.com click the contact us button uh and fill that form out you can send an uh a uh an email to geekrant at elementop.com or if you really want to be super cool you can go to patreon.com slash element leave at least a dollar pledge and leave a comment with that. And that will not only will you get top priority in my response, but you'll also be super cool. We all want to be super cool. We're geeks. We live to be super cool. This is the cool kids table and we're inviting you to sit at it at the cafeteria. It only costs you a buck. Deal. 
All right, that's it. Uh, thanks for for sticking with me, guys, through the the horror that was uh, prepping for this show. We made it through. Hopefully, you, the listener, won't know the difference. Uh, Bloomberg, I hate you, and uh, we'll see you next week. And go Cowboys! Remember to pay for what you like. <laughs>